0: Turn baby. yes yeah, Bears fans, this
1: is Take the North.
0: It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run.
1: With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for... Coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares.
0: And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro.
1: We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast, a podcast for Bears fans. You can get it on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts I am David Hoff from 670, the score of the Moline Haw Show, along with Dan Weederer from the Chicago Tribune. Dan, short week, compressed practice schedule for the Bears. The Commanders, Thursday night at Soldier Field. National television audience, a lot to look forward to. Bears have lost a couple in a row, but dare I say, they are the team coming into this one with a little momentum, oddly enough.
0: Yeah, it's funny to say that after coming off a loss, right? But they played well enough in the second half to to get a little bit of that momentum and that juice going that they have to carry over. This is a tough turnaround for a young team that it has to, to learn a lot about competing and succeeding in the NFL and some of that is being able to to quickly compartmentalize right and and be able to 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 regroup and focus really quickly I think it's going to be a test for this group to try to to go into a short week figure out what they can handle game plan wise Matt Eberflus has kind of fiddled a a little bit with the schedule this week and is going to have a practice on Wednesday David which for me it's the first time in all my time covering the league where I can recall a team having an actual practice the day before a game there's usually some glorified walkthroughs that day we'll see what they do with that but but clearly it's a, it's a week that is unorthodox and they're going to have to uh, step up and respond to it.
1: So just a couple housekeeping matters for our audience. Obviously this is a weird week. So we are dropping on a Tuesday like we normally do a little bit later in the day, but we're going to come at you again Friday morning after the Thursday night game with our reaction because that is uh, the one that makes the most sense to reach the most people. You're not going to stay up all night. We appreciate the gesture. Maybe if you were to <laughs> see what we had to say at three in the morning, but you can listen to uh 670 score starting at 530, and then you can get our podcast thoughts after that. So download, listen, and subscribe to Take the North Podcast on the free odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts
0: one other quick note david this is a amazon prime game but it will also be available to folks in chicago on fox 32 which was uh, something i learned on monday and it's good to let our entire audience know that they don't need to have a prime subscription to be able to watch this uh this thrilling thursday night matchup which hopefully will be able to top broncos colts from a week ago
1: well you hope it's not 12 to 9 and you <laughs> hope it's a little bit more explosive or interesting than that game uh, the bears would take Well, I shouldn't say that. I do not want to speak on behalf of the fan base, Dan. I'm only speaking for myself. I think the Bears, Matt Eberflus would be happy with a 12-9 victory, not so much a 12-9 loss, moral or otherwise, if it's a moral victory. But I do think that leads us probably in the direction we wanted to talk about uh, everything going on this week in terms of the moral victory aspect of Sunday's loss to the Vikings. Let's address that in our opening drive. It's time for the opening the opening drive. Okay, Dan, so all week on the score and certainly in the aftermath, I know that you have been exposed to the feedback as well. This has felt like a victory in Chicago more than it has felt like a loss. I know of people who have called the Molly and Haw show and the score all day long for the first couple days after that game. And certainly Molly talked about it after the pregame. I'm sorry. The post game show immediately Sunday. There are people who are happier after losing to the Vikings than they were after beating the Texans because of what Justin Fields did on the field and the step that he took in terms of progress. How do you balance those two things? I know we talked about it in our immediate um, reaction to the loss, but now that you had a little bit more time to digest it, yeah. How- how do you put it in the context?
0: First of all, there's going to be some overlap here with, with our QB one segment, as we try to interpret what exactly Justin Fields accomplished on Sunday and, and how we put the proper frame around it, right. And, and give it the proper size. We've said before that we have to kind of play that game of how big is your headline, right. And this is a prime example of how big is your headline on, on the actual progress that the quarterback and the bears team made on Sunday afternoon. I listen, like our audience, thankfully on take the North is, is the, 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 smart segment of the chicago bears fan base right like i think everyone that's listening to this podcast right now says hey we can we can interpret this properly i'm not taking shots at other that's just a little joke for people but i think there has to be a level of reality and perspective that allows you to celebrate progress to celebrate growth without attaching significance to it that is out of the realm of possibility. You obviously host a morning talk show. You can tell me some of the feedback that you've received this week and what you think is legitimate excitement versus out out of this world uh, hyperbole. I see things on social media and certain articles that are written in the blogosphere that blow my mind in terms of some of the comparisons and the conclusions that are being drawn after a good half in a game your team lost. And so I think it's it's kind of our I, you know. What we set out to do in our mission statement when we started this podcast is to provide the proper context and perspective to this conversation for people who are willing to remain rooted in reality and have those types of conversations.
1: Well, I, a long time ago, I learned a good lesson, whether I'm writing columns or talking on the air or whatever the case, you don't tell fans how to <laughs> act. And I, and I really I respect that.
0: I haven't learned that lesson yet.
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to I'm not, not I'm not necessarily going to tell anybody whether the right time to boo or the right time to cheer. I really think that from my standpoint, I do respect the right for them to interpret whatever happens, however they want. Now I'm just going to tell you the way I would look at it. And the way I would look at Sunday is that it's, it's incompatible for me to me to, to think that you are watching the bears and evaluating a head coach based on victories and, and your organization based on how successful it is. And then when that team loses you still feel good about it because of the progress of one player. I pretty much am certain that there are 52 other guys in there that if you would ask them to be honest about the way they felt leaving U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis on Sunday afternoon, they were disappointed. Now, Justin Fields likely was as well. I'm just not singling him out, but I think that you can't tell me that they felt better about that loss than they did about the victory they celebrated against the Texans or anybody. So I think that, and I I tried to allude this morning, I'll be brief. We have become desensitized to losing in professional sports because it, it somehow has been interpreted this is the pathway you have to go down to find success. You want to tank to get the better draft pick. You want to lose so you can win. And I think that we become conditioned to almost rooting for that or accepting that Even in the spite of uh, what it really it's contrary to everything we learn as a competitor or everything we loved about sports, you know, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing said Vince Lombardi once, and I think that you forget that sometimes when we start to rationalize what we saw. And we start to feel better about losses and victories because of what we have allowed this professional sports culture 2022 to do to us.
0: Well, we can also talk about the Chicago sports culture as well, and particularly the Bears culture. And I think that there has been um, such a detachment from sustained success when following this football team that people are willing to uh get excited and get juiced up and get adrenalized by by mere competence right and and that that's what bothers me to some extent and that's you know I'm forever going to sit on this podcast to go on the other outlets that I have and and tell people to raise the bar right like what you're after here as a Chicago Bears organization as a Chicago Bears fan is for your team to experience the highest of of highs right and and the glory that means things and that's that's championships right and so being sort of satisfied, being energized, being content with with mere competence to me is it, it's just strange. It's uncomfortable for me. It's why I push back on on some of the, the, the energy. I understand fans need to have something to cling to and they want uh, to make to be able to feel like they're not wasting their time. But raise the bar. Like, let's raise the bar from what you expect. I understand this is a rebuilding year. We've said it from the get-go. None of us are expecting them to be in the hunt in late December. None of us are expecting them to win 9 or 10 games. We know what this team is. And so so little moments of progress have to be acknowledged. I'm fine with acknowledging them. It's, it's all about how much significance, right, and, and perspective you attach to them. And that's where this conversation gets muddied because – Oftentimes, as we've talked about before, it's the people with the extreme takes that get out the megaphones and they shout at each other. And then it's the people that are grounded in the reality zone, as I like to call it in in that zip code of the reality zone that, that, that wound up being out shouted. And yet they're the ones with the more rational perspective and so i think this week is another taste of that right and we've got to figure out a way to to swim through it to some extent
1: well here's the other thing i think is interesting and and i uh i look at so you look around the league and 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 i think parity is a byproduct of everything the uh, of, of the nfl's salary cap and a lot of other reasons but it's there it exists it's real and you look at how many one possession games there are and and you look at the scores of week Five's results and you see how many games came down to the final quarter or the final possession or within one touchdown and certainly the bears were in that category they had a lead in the fourth quarter for goodness sakes that they blew because of a 17 play 75 yard drive my point is this if you're close every sunday or if you take the any given sunday approach to a league that invites that and where that is the reality Right. Why wouldn't you want to go the other way and think that even though we can all acknowledge this is an inferior roster in terms of talent, even though we can acknowledge this is a young team that's going to make mistakes, why wouldn't you want them to come as close as possible to actually getting a victory in a league where that's possible or actually pulling one <laughs> off? <laughs> <Yeah. Because laughs> I, winning creates a culture and there's nothing that's going to enhance a young quarterback's development more than being the the leader of a team that is surprising people and making them play to every through every game to the 60th minute
0: You made a good point a few minutes ago and you used the word competitor, which I think is a very important word to use because I stood in that locker room at US Bank Stadium on on Sunday afternoon and I saw the dismay on Eddie Jackson's face as he sat slouched in front of his locker stall. I went one room over and saw Roquan Smith in a corner fuming, right? Pissed off, literally pissed off at the way that game had gone and how they had lost. I watched Darnell Mooney not leave the bench for about 30 seconds after the, the final gun on Sunday because he was disappointed that they didn't get over the hump. I think you can be fair and assuming that that Justin Fields wasn't satisfied with the end result. That guy has told you from the minute he got here that he's used to winning in his life and losing bothers him to a great extent. And so it definitely bothered him. And so I guess part of that is just sort of a cue to the outside world and the fan base to to say, be be upset with them, right? Be upset that that your team and your franchise has not done enough over years, right? That puts you in this position where merely failing by a close margin makes you happy, right? Like that shouldn't be where we're at, right? And, and it's, it's just, it's numbing sometimes to see, again, the, the, the willingness to celebrate mere competence. It's just, it's, it's incredible to me. And, and it comes in different levels. And again, the quarterback discussion uh, stands alone. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But again, you talk about a game Thursday night now against the commanders, right? That team is very beatable, right? That team is not very good but neither are you. You are also beatable and not very good. And so if you're not super sharp, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, Thursday night, we're going to wake up Friday morning be having another post-game uh, podcast with the Bears at two and four and, and, and feeling like, man, they let another opportunity to grow their culture, which as you mentioned a minute ago, should be a winning culture with uh, a losing effort, right? And that can't be accepted. It cannot be accepted. It's not what Matt Eberflus is about. And so let's see what they do this week.
1: And just the last thing on this is that if we are... Here on Friday morning, and we are talking about a Bears loss in a game that Justin Fields plays well, or we're talking about a Bears win in a game where Justin Fields struggles, I would choose the latter if having to choose between the two. I would think a victory is always going to be the one you pick. i That's just me. And I respect everybody's right to sit there and think, oh, boy, are you an idiot or whatever the case. But I'm never going to come off that point because I just am not wired any other way. Now, that said, I have to add this. There, nobody ever said that those they have to be exclusive goals and that they both – you can win – and develop a quarterback at the same time. You don't have to do one at the expense of the other. Sometimes that's just the reality you have to accept. And I'm I'm answering the question: If having to choose between a victory with my quarterback struggling or a loss and he he balls out, I'm ta- I'm taking the win every time. I just am.
0: Well, let's take another page of the choose your own adventure there and add one for how about winning because your quarterback is the reason you win, right? And I think that's, that's the ideal. I think some of that is is what growth looks like in the NFL. And I understand the supporting cast isn't great and, and the defense isn't great and there's going to be bumps and bruises here, but we better not get to, to mid-January and be looking at a season where, where the Bears won one or two games because Justin led them to victory, right? It should be more than that. And that's what they've got to start setting their, their sights on. Uh, that's what the quarterback has to have his set, sights that on and 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 we'll we'll continue to filter it through here again this audience here these people listening right now to us right now great people i love their ability to, to stick with us and, and have this grounded discussion
1: a couple of nuts and bolts things for those people who are hanging with us jalen johnson returned <laughs> to the practice field on monday it was a walk through but he seems to have been uh healed and he's improved he said on the parkinson spiegel show on the score he plans to play 100 is the way i think he put it then he will go right back into his role, but Jalen Jones, did he acquit himself well? Did he deserve um, to be a guy that you can count on moving forward? I know Johnson is a no-brainer, but what did Jalen Jones do for his stock with the Bears?
0: Well, look, I think he gained experience. Right. And I think he's giving you some things on special teams right now that are uh, valuable. Right. And it's the reason that th- this kid, as an undrafted rookie, made the 53 man roster to start the season. It's a reason he got a quick elevation to start when Jalen Johnson was out. I still think there were moments in that game Sunday where you say, man, <laughs> Justin Jefferson ate him alive, right? With just some of the releases, some of the movements, some of the abilities to create separation and get open. There's a lot to learn for a young cornerback. That's certainly a tough proving ground to learn it. Uh, they got to make some strides there. But I think at least you feel like you got a guy who uh, wasn't intimidated by the moment. And, and he's going to have to have more success, certainly. But, but at least you feel like he, he's not going to have these catastrophic mistakes.
1: Real interesting little tidbit before moving on. Jalen Jones getting replaced the undrafted rookie free agent from Ole Miss turns 25 this week. Jalen Johnson, the Pro Bowl caliber cornerback, who is the Bears' number one cover corner, going back to the lineup, 23 years old. Okay. So you've got the young guy who is actually a veteran who has proven himself replacing the older guy, who is on the way up and had to be pressed into action accidentally in an, in case of an emergency, just a little interesting tidbit. All right, let's look at the commanders with Carson Wentz quickly. Ron Rivera put his foot in a little bit answering <laughs> a question, honestly about what uh, was different about the teams that are uh, excelling in the NFC East, the Cowboys, the Eagles and the giants. And he said, quarterback. Now there was more context to that. There was more, there were more layers to that discussion. There's nuance that was lost, but the headline is Ron Rivera doesn't believe in his quarterback. And I'm sure that, you know, Alex Smith of ESPN analyst, former Washington commanders quarterback criticized him publicly. I'm sure Ron Rivera probably had to explain himself behind closed doors what was your take on that
0: well look Carson Wentz is not uh gathering momentum at all right we know how it ended in Philly we know how it ended in Indy we know how it started in Washington and if you remember David in the spring of what what year was it 21 21 yeah 20, 21 right like there were the the rumors and they were ultimately unfounded that the Bears were expressing heavy interest in Carson Wentz I did some digging at that time and was told nope 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 not interested uh we've got enough uh <laughs> intel on, on on Carson Wentz from people who know him really well to know that this is not a good fit, uh, and it's not the, the type of guy you want to build around. And so that's starting to follow Carson around the league a little bit. And when you struggle and when you don't have the ability to to be kind of a galvanizing leader amid struggle, people start to turn their back on you really quickly. And so look that you talk about an opportunity for the bears here when you've got a, a team that's one and four and reeling and they're losing belief in their starting quarterback quickly you better pounce right and you better keep that doubt in their head from the first quarter on and see if you can do something uh will be interesting to see how ron rivera handles it throughout the rest of the week it'll be interesting to see how they they kind of try to establish some successful situations for carson wentz but y- you can tell already that uh there, there's a little bit of uh, hesitance and, and doubt in, in how they feel about their quarterback
1: back to 2021 as the story goes what i was told was that Doug Peterson, who had coached uh, Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, Matt Nagy, one of Peterson's best friends, was the head coach of the Bears, might have had a conversation, Peterson to Nagy, about maybe you might not going to be too uh, enamored or encouraged to go in that direction. It might not be the greatest fit. And you're right, that reputation, once it begins to get formed, you wonder how much it will follow you throughout the league. And this is his you know, second stop since Philadelphia and you respect him because he has some skills, but you wonder about him being this focal point of an offense. Now he is coming in after throwing for 359 yards last week. They've lost four in a row. Yeah, Two two of those games though, Dan, I think that this season Carson Wentz has thrown for more than 300 yards. He's got or had over hundred passer rating. He's thrown for a ton of yards. They're averaging 42 passes per game the Bears have to get to the quarterback and rattle a guy who I think can be rattled
0: no doubt and one of the bright spots from Sunday's game was the play of Travis Gibson and you go through that film again and you watch some of the the the, the plays he made both against the run and rushing the passer that that continue to show his his growth and his development and his uh upward arc. Right. And so, so he's another guy that's going to have to get loose and, and, and take advantage of more opportunity. You hope that he has earned more opportunity. They've been using that rotation up front with him and Al-Kadeem Mohammed. obviously Robert Quinn also in that mix across the way. Uh, So they've, they've got to just continue to find ways to, uh, to, to find opportunities for Travis Gibson. This week presents another one where, where you can, uh, you can really get after Carson Wentz and maybe make a game-changing play.
1: All right, let's dive into our QB1 segment. (laughs) All right, Dan, so this is uh, this week, as we alluded to, what Justin Fields accomplished against the Vikings uh, was significant. Uh, How significant depends on where your standards are uh, and how desperate you are to see progress and how much you want to see more. But how would you... I guess the size of the step that Justin Fields took in your world, how big was it?
0: Small, (laughs) in a word, small, right? Like David, I think that you know as well as I do that success in the NFL is about consistency. Right. And, and, and let's start with just playing one good game. Right. Not just one good half. We saw in Pittsburgh last year there was a good half and everyone felt in early November that Justin Fields had hit the springboard for his career coming out of a game in Pittsburgh on primetime where he led the Bears to a, a, a go ahead touchdown drive in the fourth quarter and played really well in the half. And what did it amount to? Nothing. The rest of the season was inconsistent and there were ups and there was downs and there was uh, injuries and, and illnesses and absences and everything else. And there was just no momentum that was able to be built. And so th- th- there's no way it even qualifies as a medium step until it becomes consistent, until you see it multiple weeks in a row. You can't just have a good half and expect the rest of the world to, to forget the first four weeks of the season and in in some pockets of the Bears fan base this week, that's the thing that has astounded me, David is this idea that like the first four weeks don't exist and all the struggles that Justin had that were well-documented and much talked about were gone simply because he completed 12 out of 13 in the second half and got into a groove for the first time in five weeks. And so, look again this has got to be a nuanced discussion it's got to be a discussion that has proper context and perspective and like I said earlier it's okay to acknowledge progress it's okay to to feel better about what you watched right I think we all felt a little more energized seeing that half but then it's just about making sure that you keep the guardrails on the significance that you're attaching to things and I think in some pockets there has been an outlandish reaction to this David I'll tell you some of the things that I've seen on social media or in articles or things that have been said I've I've heard the word right. phenomenal right. thrown away. There was nothing phenomenal last Sunday. I've heard uh, turned a corner, right? Turned a corner. Nope, nope. I, I, I've covered the Bears for 10 seasons. I know how many turn-to-corner incidences were not actually turning a corner, right? It was just a thing. Uh, arrived. The quarterback that the Bears thought they drafted in 2021 arrived Sunday. Did he arrive? No, he had a good half. And now it's about having a good half followed by a good game Thursday night, followed by a good game in New England. And now all of a sudden you generate momentum and you generate consistency and then you generate belief. And so look like again, yes, step forward. Correct. Small step forward. Absolutely. Beyond that, I can't really go much further than that. And we'll get into some of the details on why in a minute.
1: Well, I think that we want to be consistent ourselves. So I, I think that when he struggled mightily in get previous games this year, we had a plea for patience and perspective saying, yeah. okay, criticizing isn't concluding, and neither is praising. We're not drawing conclusions here five weeks in, five games into his second season. So I think that the same restraint that we ask for when people, or wanting to go a negative direction. I think that we're just asking for people or I guess showing ourselves, I, I don't really, again, I don't. you can react however you wanna react, but I think that I'm still gonna be a little bit restrained in, in making too much out of what we saw. There was progress. The one significant thing, and I guess I would quibble with you a little bit, the one special thing that I think that I saw was the 52 yard run that was called back. That because of the block that was illegal, or maybe it was, it doesn't matter. But in that play, yeah, I think that Justin Fields reminded me how special he can be. And it also reinforced this idea why some, so many people are so excited about his future. Because I think those are the things on that run you can't teach or coach. Those are the things that you can't really anticipate. That was explosiveness, and that's the kind of thing that makes good quarterbacks great, great quarterbacks, MVPs. And Justin Fields has that. And I think seeing that again was significant to me because I had almost forgotten that he was capable of something like that. So that that is the only thing I would say. The other stuff I would, I, I would agree with you because we don't want to get carried away. You can't let the second half of the Vikings game be, become – this year's version of, la- of the 2021 fourth quarter against the Steelers. Yeah. You can't overreact that way. The one thing I felt bad about it for Justin Fields was was not necessarily the loss, but the fact that he was deprived of chance to, in that final minute to finish a drive. When he had things rolling, he was in command, and you, you started to think, okay, if he finishes this rally and he comes back into these circumstances, that would be undeniably significant because then – you think maybe the Bears would have won that game and he would have been the reason why.
0: Can I give you a little context, pushback to that as well? The first snap of the final drive, Justin Fields loses his pocket presence and loses ball security and fumbles the football, David. And if Lucas Patrick doesn't dive on that football and the Vikings recover there, the entire afternoon goes down with a different narrative. Amir Smith-Marset is not Chicago's scapegoat for week six, right? He's off the hook because Justin made the the mistake that sealed the loss. And so we, we can't, in our evaluation of Justin, just overlook those things that would have been a, a fate ceiling mistake. Listen, David Montgomery blew, blew the protection there. Braxton Jones didn't hold up his end of the bargain, but as a quarterback in those stages of that game, you have to make sure beyond all else that you protect The football and the football got away from him. He got stripped, and the ball came out, and they were lucky to recover it. And so, this idea that oh, you know, the 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 last drive was was just this this humming machine that was going along, and they were gonna. I mean, he threw two passes after that; they were both complete, and they picked up some yardage. But again, this is not me trying to be a wet blanket. It's not me trying to rain on the parade. I know a lot of people will interpret it as that. It's just making sure that we see both sides of this. I'll go with you on the 52 yarder, right? I, I think that is a, a terrific run and it's an instance that right now is just a flash right and and we need that flash to be the norm because there's been a lot of instances where Justin runs and he hasn't had the elusiveness that that play shows you that he's capable of right he runs into a hit or he's just not quite as as decisive or doesn't open it up to top speed fast enough whatever it may be that type of run should be one that Luke gets he runs five six times in the meeting room this week and says Justin, look at this. Look right. at how assertive you were. Look at how you baited the defense at two different points on that run right. to, to get them to ease up. And then there you are back to the middle of the field and you're gone. And if there wasn't this sort of uh, Hugh Hollands, uh, Hubert Davis flop call, <laughs> <laughs> right? right yeah. on, on Amir Smith Marset, maybe, maybe that, that goes down in a different light. But again, I go back to that and I say the flash has to become the norm, right? And that's where we have to go to. And I know, again, if we're going to preach patient, you're right. You have to push back on me and say, if you're going to tell people to be patient, then you can't ask for everything to be perfect every single
1: week. Well, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. It's second year quarterback. It's not going to be perfect. That's fair. And
0: and, and I deserve to, you know, this is, this is a bet. Let me just say this. This is a better forum to have these kinds of conversations than in the replies of Twitter because right. Holy cow, David, the hostility from the pro fields crowd is, is, Unlike anything I've ever seen in my life.
1: Well, I mean, you should check out the live text line coming in the Heart <laughs> show every morning. That, that can be pretty uh, interesting as well. All right. So to get to that consistent point, Dan, I think that when you look at some of the things that uh, were the reasons behind him being 12 or 13 in the second half, why things got going after Mooney's one-handed catch, I, I look at some of the specifics and I want to see what you think. I felt like when you watch the game again, and Dave Wanstead talked about this on our show uh, on Tuesday morning as well, Justin Fields didn't let his eyes leave uh, whatever he was processing down the field. He didn't take his eyes off either the receivers or the defense the way that maybe in the past he had because of the rush and the pocket collapsing. When you do that as a young quarterback and you drop your eyes and you go back, all of a sudden, boom, you're dead. And I felt like whatever it was, he slowed the game down he even alluded to this after the game. He slowed the game down in a way that allowed him to feel less ha- harassed, maybe not as much anxiety.
0: That's so it. When, That's the word.
1: When you reduce your anxiety, I think you increase your accuracy. So he was able to, you know, put the ball in the money with with uh, EQ St. Brown running that deep out. And he yeah. was able to hit Colt Komet in a, in a key spot and Mooney in another. And I feel like once he got rolling, once he was able to tell himself, hey, I can do this, I'm slowing this game down, it's coming to me. That was the guy that we need to see more often and that's the consistency that he has lacked.
0: No question, so less anxious is how I would I would phrase it. And you said it perfectly there because he did seem a little bit calmer inside the pocket when he was back there Uh, still makes a couple of those nice escape acts where where he spins out the back of the pocket and scrambles for yardage or keeps his eyes downfield he just seemed a little bit more settled and that's growth right like that's the growth we're asking for that's pocket presence that's poise my favorite throw of the day was a third and 10 conversion to Cole Komet And, and, and people, I, I tweeted this on Monday afternoon and people pushed back and said, that's basic NFL quarterbacking, And I don't disagree, but sometimes basic NFL quarterbacking is what makes success compound itself, right? the ability to stand in the pocket, to trust that your line is going to be holding up and not be kind of looking out of your peripheral vision, trying to figure out is someone coming from this side, Oh, is there something that way? You just, you set at the top of your drop, you go through your reads and then you throw a, a fastball right on target to your tight end and you convert third and 10 and the drive keeps going Going, and now all of a sudden you've got this rhythm that we were lacking for four and a half weeks. Right. And, and now it's there. And so it's a basic play, but it's, it's great teaching tool for Justin to say, look, the basic plays are what unlock everything else. That's special. When you make the basic plays, Luke gets, told us going into that game that Justin had to understand how to take the cheap completions. Right. And that's that that one was a cheap one at all, but, but it's, it's those basic plays that means something. I'll tell you this, that, that I, I've had an analogy forever. I say that, that playing golf, Playing quarterback and marriage are all the same because it's not about being a hero. It's about not screwing up. And if you get into trouble, get out of it as fast as humanly possible. If you subscribe to that in those three areas of life, you'll probably be pretty successful.
1: Yeah. You don't want to take a mulligan <laughs> in any of those either. Um, so, I, I, all right. That, those, those are good points. That's a great analogy. I
0: want to ask you this before. Never turn down be. a mulligan either, by you know, the way. Okay. It's <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, the 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 ability to use his feet is obviously one of his greatest strengths and i wanted to know how you felt about he did still carry the ball eight times and with the ninth wiped out or else he would have had nearly 100 yards rushing how do those complement how does his running ability complement his passing ability do you think they're related do you think that when he gains seven on fourth and four because he just refuses to go down does that empower him does that build his confidence because I think like a lot of young quarterbacks, I, mean, I think we saw in Mitch Trubisky in a positive way. The more he has success running the ball, it almost like seem, seems as if the more comfortable he gets, the more confidence that is he, he shows in throwing the football. Do you see the same thing?
0: Well, so so interesting that you brought up Mitch because I thought Mitch did this well early in his career, and then he got injured twice. Right? We we know he got injured with a hit by Harrison Smith uh, in that twenty eighteen season, and, and then again early the following year, not even running, but just kind of trying to get out of the pocket and getting pulled down. And I felt like he became more hesitant as a runner after those injuries. People said, "Oh my God, the coaching staff's not letting him go. They're not turning him loose as a runner." No, they were. Mitch just had become a little bit more hesitant in that regard. So Justin's got to. Be be careful there. I do think that that it, there's definitely a complimentary aspect to his running, and he's got to make sure that he doesn't over-rely on it, right? That's what they're coaching inside the building. Like, this is a gift. We're never going to coach this out of you, but don't over-rely on it. When you have a play to make, make the play in the passing game first, and then if you can't, get out and use your gifts. I do think Justin has special situational awareness, right? He knows when it's third and fourth down. He's always conscious of that, and that goes back to, to the first month of his rookie season where you saw him uh, know where the, the the sticks are, right? If it's third down, if it's fourth down, if it's a, we need this or else type of play, Justin goes after it, right? And, and I appreciate that. And I applaud that about him. That deserves to be lauded. Uh, now you just have to, to to find that balance. And I, you know, I said, coming out of the Giants game, that, that 10, tuck-and-runs, several which resulted in sacks, seven which were, I think, scramble runs. That was too high a volume because it tells you that there's no trust at all in the passing game if you have to bring the ball down on 10 passing opportunities and take off. It didn't feel that way on Sunday. Even though the, the numbers were still there, it just felt like it was more controlled, less frenetic, less frantic. And so hopefully that's a positive step in the right direction as well.
1: You also heard something come out of the mouth of Justin Fields from behind the microphone. You thought was a positive. I'll let you explain that one.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, I'm going to explain this in two ways, and then I also want to get to a couple oh things that I want to address then in this conversation, just to bring it full circle. But, but Justin Smith was uh, I'm sorry Justin Fields was asked post game Sunday afternoon about the fumble that Amir Smith Marset had to, to close the game. And like a true leader, he, he had his receivers back and he did the right thing in front of the the podium and, and did the publicly proper thing in, in showing a, a sign of leadership. Now we're pulling this clip from a TikTok video that became very, very popular on bears Twitter on Monday. And the reason we're pulling it from there, rather than just a live press conference feed is because of one significant addition, but go ahead and listen to this. Yeah, it's tough, but um, you know, I know Mir, I know he's uh, you know, uh, Feeling down right now. So our job is to pick him up. And, uh, you know, he's a great player. And, I mean, me personally, I know what he can do on the field. You know, he's young, second year. So uh, he's he's just got to learn from that mistake and, you know, keep going. But, you know, he can be one uh, hell of a player in this league for sure. Surface level, David, good show of public support. No question about it. The reason I play that clip is because the gentle piano music and that nice little xylophone certainly make feel a lot more documentary significant than it really was. I sat in that press conference. I said, that's a good public show of support. I didn't attach this level of viral significance that Bears fans took it to on Monday by putting – piano music and, and a, a xylophone to it to try to prop it up as something greater than it is. And this is what, for me, it's, it's a, a snapshot of what represents my point about people getting carried away with those little things and trying to turn them into something that they're not. And I can't handle it. I can't handle it anymore. And I've got 12 more weeks to handle it.
1: Very dramatic music. It, but, <laughs> but, but see, OK, so this, I, I'm not surprised. It's, it's sensible. But look, you've covered the NFL for a long time you know that every week is a season and nowadays to compare every every week now it being a season every season is an episode (laughs) so there's going to be this dramatic element everything that becomes magnified so that is the opening scene to the week five documentary on how justin fields fared so, you
0: know? so, so here, here's, here's where it is, right? Like you're, you're absolutely right in that in terms of, of, you know, and this is where I get blowback a lot like that, that it is an episode and this is theater and this is entertainment for most of the world. Unfortunately, in the chair I sit in, I have to be a journalist, right? And and so there becomes a detachment between the gentle piano music and the xylophone and what's actual reality. And, and so it's, it's, it, you know, it creates friction in the outside world. I would challenge our producer, Adam Stadzinski to take something that we've talked about here in this episode <laughs> episode because we've talked about a lot and to find some some gentle piano music and when he puts out one of those promo tweets with a two-minute clip of our thing that he attaches some some beautiful piano music and all of a sudden David will sound more like there's more gravity to everything we're saying and that it means so much more and it'll be really cool for us to have that that touch
1: Dan just let me tell you my limited uh, experience here (laughs) in, in sports talk radio I don't know that I want to go viral Okay, that's not always something you want to do necessarily, but I do. Uh, I do think that's a good challenge for studs. So yeah, yeah, got to give them know. some homework. Yeah. So exactly. our,
0: so so let's talk a little bit just to kind of bring this this fields conversation full circle about some of the the moments, right? Like that that tell you that that growth needs to be made. And again, I'm not demanding perfection. I, w- I would never do that to a second year quarterback with the talent that he has around him right now. We've all acknowledged that it's deficient, right? And he's going to need a lot more. Uh, there are things there and one play that exemplifies that is the incompletion to dante pettis along the left sideline where justin doesn't throw a perfect ball but an nfl receiver should catch it and dante pettis drops it right oh, by the way, even if he had caught it, the play's coming back because Sam must have forheld the guy in pass protection. And so that was an illumination of, my God, like like, this is where the Chicago Bears are at right now in terms of of functionality and talent, right? Like they just don't have enough there. You know, if Rodgers throws at the Devontae Adams last year, that's a a big gain of first down and things keep moving. And so eventually you hope Justin gets more guys who can complete that catch and keep a drive going and do all those things. And he has linemen that don't, hold but there's some other things we talked about the fumble on the last drive right there's also an incompletion on the first series it's a, a a shot into the end zone to darnell mooney with one-on-one coverage and 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 the cornerback playing inside leverage and and fields throws the ball outside and mooney's running straight into the end zone, and it's a play that probably should have been a touchdown if they're on the same page, and they're not on the same page, and I think you've mentioned this a a few times, that these guys have worked so hard together for months and months, and they've propped up their relationship of of establishing a connection as something that's incredibly strong, and yet in a moment of truth, it's not there. Right and, and there's some sort of disconnect and some sort of wire crossing that leads to an incomplete pass, which eventually leads to a field goal. And instead of getting yourself back in a game well before the end of the first half, you settle for a field goal and then you eventually go down 21 to three and you're struggling. So that's a moment there, right? Like that, it needs to be sharper it just does it
1: needs to be a touchdown you you need you need that to you know you need to make the right read you need to put it where it should be you're right that's what comes with experience you know the, the Monday night football game they talked about Devontae Adams and Derek Carr needing to regain the chemistry they had at Fresno State yeah I guess it takes years to do that even with guys who are making millions and millions of dollars. And you can't expect that from a second-year quarterback on a rookie deal with a fifth-round draft pick, Darnell Mooney. And that will come in time, but I agree with that uh, assessment in terms of that needed to happen at that point. By the way, Darnell Mooney making $895,000 this year tells you everything about the Bears investment in the wide receiving core when I yeah. found that three college football wide receivers. Bigger have NILs. <laughs> have NIL packages that are more than Darnell Mooney, the number one receiver on this Bears offense. So that tells you about the amount of investment and resources allocated to a wide receiving core and how far they have to go to get it right.
0: That's crazy. One more play I want to bring up, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but the, the play immediately preceding David Montgomery's touchdown run in the second quarter, which got the Bears back into the game after the long completion to Mooney. Fields' worst decision of the game by far. He gets out of the pocket, rolls to his left, does a good job of keeping his eyes up to see if something else is coming open. He is extremely lucky that that pass gets batted down by a linebacker because he is throwing into heavy traffic in the end zone. And instead of it being 21 to to, to 10 at halftime, all of a sudden you're looking at an end zone interception that keeps it 21 to three and changes the narrative of everything, right? Like coming out of the half, Yep. and everything that's going on and for those who want to get in the weeds go back and watch that play on your all 22 and say whoa 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 I'm sure Luke Getzey I promise you Luke Getzey brought that up in the meetings this week and said Justin man like you cannot make that pass you cannot throw that ball because it's it's dangerous and it's going to get you it's going to get us beat right so all that said right I, Justin Fields 12 for 13 135 yards and a touchdown touchdown passer rating in the second half. That's something to build on. I would also say this, and I just wanted to get your take on this. What we saw from Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings offense in a similar system on Sunday afternoon, I I called it on Monday afternoon, I called it a symphony. It was incredible to watch that in the first half, the way they were in rhythm, the way everything was clicking, the way Cousins had answers to anything the Bears threw at them. And they just... Touchdown! 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 Right, and and, and seventeen completions in a row. He completes twenty-two for twenty-six in the first half for two hundred seventeen yards. And I, you know, I, I get it that it's apples to oranges comparing a veteran who's got skills players like Kirk Cousins have. But what the heck would Chicago's reaction have been if one of their quarterbacks ever had a half like Kirk Cousins had, and yet coming out of that game, it was like. Kirk Cousins didn't exist, and, and the the story for people in Chicago was that Justin Fields was on a rocket ship to start him all of a sudden.
1: Well, the first half, I mean, Kirk Cousins was the maestro of the symphony, and he would go to the line of scrimmage <laughs> And they wouldn't even huddle. And he would be the conductor, literally looking at what he was looking at and dissecting the defense and telling people what to do. It was brilliant. It was fun to watch. They had 29 first downs. So when you consider what they did yeah. in the first half, and then frankly, what they did when they needed a drive, 17 plays, 75 you know, five That's winning football. It's winning football. That's, winning, that's football. winning football. And you need that from your quarterback. And it did start with Kirk Cousins. But it also, I would remind you, it was noon on a Sunday. He's pretty good. at noon on a Sunday, he would have been a great Cubs baseball player in the 70s. All played during the day, but don't turn the lights on because he will wilt.
0: What time was his body clock on, though? Because they were just coming back from London, and I don't know how many days the adjustment is. It might have been like three or four London time at the by with the clock adjustment formula that you have to use. So I don't. Know. <laughs> it's
1: true that might it <laughs> might have been true, although you know the, you consider that he didn't he blocked it out well enough that he wasn't in his mind in his world. It was noon on Sunday in a beautiful, beautiful day in Minneapolis for the Vikings. But, yeah, good points about Kirk Cousins. One day, Justin Fields may be that guy. He took a step in that direction on Sunday. And, hey, it's up to you to decide how big it is. Dan says it was not that big. Uh, I think it was, you know, not significant, but it was a step. So, are you willing
0: to go medium sized? I went small. Are you willing I, to go medium sized? I'm willing
1: to go. I'm willing to go medium sized <laughs> Okay. I, only, only because I saw special, and if I saw special in that run, even though it was called back, I'm willing to maybe go a little, just a little bit further than you. Okay. All right. So that concludes the deep dive into QB one. Let's take a look at some other stuff real quickly before we go. Dan, Nikhil, Harry activated. I don't know if that means Amir Smith-Marset is not going to be part of the uh, active roster on um... Thursday night. What, uh, what do you, how do you interpret that?
0: Yeah, certainly notable, right. To, to activate Nikhil Harry off an of injured reserve. I'm very interested to see what the, the coaching staff's plans are for this, because when you have a guy who's missed as much practice time as Nikhil Harry has missed, and you go into a week where there really aren't any practices, it's hard to develop timing and feel within an offense. And so I still have a bit of a curiosity on whether this is an activation of Nikhil Harry for gamesmanship reasons. And the, and the goal is to uh, turn him loose to, to play against the the Patriots. The following week, we'll see. Obviously, when when you when you're limited in talent and depth, you've got to get uh, urgent at certain points. And so maybe there is an urgency to get Nikhil Harry back in the mix and, and to trust his his veteran uh, experience to to help you out. And so maybe he will play on Thursday night and and give the bears something in the passing game and something in the receiving core that they haven't had. Again, it's not a a, a magic pill, but, but, but certainly it's a a move in the right direction. And, and, and look, it's another guy down in the red zone that can help you. Hopefully he can, he can make some plays because the bears took a a very low risk gamble on Nikhil Harry when they traded for him.
1: Yeah. And there's no urgency to see Smith Marset again, ever, and there's no urgency to see Dante Pettis again, ever. So, You have guys who are replaceable. Why not see what Harry has if he's healthy? Work him into the mix. And by the way, Luke Getze, I I know we can resume the honeymoon if you want, but get Bayless Jones Jr. more than three snaps, please. In some way, form, or fashion, find out a way to use an athlete who has his skill set
0: yeah i mean listen you talk about special that that speed sweep touchdown is special right it's explosion right. Right. it's vision it's it's toughness at the goal line to get across the the plane there uh that's why they drafted Dalis jones to be a spark right and now that now you've got to figure out how to spark that a few times per game
1: okay Matt Eberflus indicated when asked about the offensive line he seemed to think that when cody whitehair came <laughs> back that lucas patrick would be playing center but i didn't get the sense that that's going to happen until white hair returns. That's going to be a, a while still, Dan. So what do you expect the offensive line to look like Thursday night against the commanders?
0: Well, super observation by you in, in listening to the very detailed phrasing that Matt Eberflus used on Monday. And he said, look, we told you all along that we're trying to identify our best five. And when Cody Whitehair comes back, we'll have our best five, right? And, and, and it was an indication that Lucas Patrick would, would be your center at that point, And Cody would be playing left guard and you'd have everything sort of established at that point. Uh, I, I am still of the, the belief that they're going to keep things... The way it was last week. And I know the the Sam Mustafer vocal critic crowd is gonna be displeased with that going into a game against a, a commander's team where where Jonathan Allen can do some things to to really mess you up inside there. Uh, and so look, like you you've gotta figure out a way to solidify that. I do think their pass pro was pretty good overall in minnesota and they've got to build on that but i would expect the the line to stay status quo and that they're really waiting for cody's return to move lucas back into the role where he can snap the football inside
1: see i'm getting pretty fluent and floocy i would think. i like it yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would, uh, I speak that flucy fluency there we go that's hard to say <laughs> all right a couple of things before we get to our predictions um I do think that the Guardians, this is a pretty good story that I'm sure that maybe on the Amazon broadcast they will focus on because it's, it's fantastic. Brian Robinson Jr. was shot in the leg twice six weeks ago during a robbery attempt, made his NFL debut last Sunday. And Dan, I mean, when you think about how far he has come uh, I, I don't care if he doesn't play much at all on Thursday night, if he's on the field, if he's active, that is deserving. I will tell fans how to act in that case. Give this man, a young man, a round of applause.
0: Yeah. And look, like even before that incident occurred, the commanders felt very strongly about what this kid's future in this league could be. The so bears have to be very aware of, of uh, the kind of talent he has and what he can do to spark a commander's offense that needs a spark. Uh, but to your point, Super story, really cool to see the the, the the speed of the recovery, right, and the ability to get back into an NFL football game and to be able to play last week. It had to be a special moment for him, given everything he's experienced.
1: And it isn't going to be an NFL football game, which means that they're, they're actually going to be tackling each other, which means the quarterback will be in harm's way. What say you about the direction this is going with all of these ridiculous roughing the passer penalties?
0: Carl Sheffers, Jerome Boger. Holy moly. I, I can't even read the pool report stuff with a straight face because it's just a, a lacking common sense. There's a, a number put out there this morning that the, the, the number of roughing the passer penalties has actually dipped quite significantly in 2022. And so th- to the large extent, most of the officials understand that they were over, over legislating it in 2021 and maybe being a little bit too harsh with the way a 300 pound man can contort his body at the last second of a tackle uh these two this weekend were egregious i i I mean poor grady jarrett poor chris jones the one in in tampa uh an absolute joke i don't know what grady jarrett is supposed to do he didn't land on him he flung tom Brady to the ground i i I just have no idea how you're supposed to tackle a quarterback and then monday night david the chris jones one uh an absolute joke because the ball is out and he's trying to recover a football with one arm that was a fumble yeah. At, at the at bare minimum, they have to change that rule to make that penalty a post-possession penalty, right? Like give give the Chiefs the football and then back them up 15 yards if you're going to do that. But the idea that, that that play was negated because of that, I mean, just, it, just mind-blowing stuff. And I, I'd have to imagine that some of the big dudes in the Chicago Bears locker room at Hell's Hall are going to have some opinions on this as this week goes along.
1: Quick opinion on this. Since Tua with the concussion fiasco in Miami, I think – there has been heightened awareness and there was an overreaction to protecting the quarterback. But I do go back to my criticism the day after a lot along with a lot of others, we said, well, if you're going to, you, you should err on the side of caution. Well, these were errors on the side of caution, but nobody denies they were errors. I think they overcompensated. Sometimes that happens. There was an overreaction uh, to an underreaction. You know what I mean? So that sometimes now you got to find a middle ground. I like Chris Jones's idea of making it a, a reviewable play, have somebody in the booth with the benefit of perspective, because in real time, those referees, those officials, it's happening. It's in front of them, but it, you benefit from taking a look. It may lengthen the game, but it might be worth it given all that is at stake. You want to protect the quarterback, but you also have to apply common sense from a football perspective.
0: Well, look, it, it took away the Atlanta Falcons' uh, chances of, of winning that football game. The Chiefs obviously were able to to overcome, and they've got a, a guy playing quarterback for them who's pretty special at coming back from double-digit deficits. Uh, but yeah, look, like the, the, the results of games hinge on moments like that. And you better be really careful about how willing you are to impact the results of games with calls that aren't obvious. And that those two were, those two were a travesty.
1: All right, let's close out with our predictions. Okay, Dan, I don't think this is that hard for me to call bears. I think are favored in Vegas by one started out. They were underdogs by one. It is a pick them. You get three for staying home. I think that they come into this game with a little bit more mo- momentum. This is another beatable opponent. I like the fact that the Bears might be uh, ready to have a cleaner game again. No delay game penalties before the first snap. I think that Justin Fields has another above average game that we will probably find will be uh, exaggerated in Chicago perhaps. Let's hope that's the case. Defensively, I don't think this is as great of a challenge as they have faced in recent weeks. I think Carson Wentz will throw you the football or turn it over in the pocket and uh the the key was you have to keep those receivers in front of you. Jalen Johnson returning will help against this passing game. Don't give up the big play. Justin Jefferson caught 12 passes, but only averaged 12.8 yards per reception. You don't want that to happen, but keep it in front of you. I think the Bears win 24 to 20.
0: I hate everything about having to predict this game. I don't know which team is worse. I don't know which team is going to be sloppier. I don't know which team can handle the short week better. You give the bears an advantage for staying home, but ultimately I think they're going to be a, a couple mistakes that prove catastrophic to the bears. This is going to be a, a, a tough thing to throw out there, but I've got commanders 22 bears 20 and us waking up on Friday, doing a post game reaction pod. That's going to be significantly different. And I, I, I hate this. I hate, predicting this game because it's not it's not a game where you look at the strengths right you say which team's weaknesses are going to be more glaring and I think that the the Bears might be a little bit more glaring I you know I look at the the commander's defense not great but their top five and third down efficiency they're pretty good versus the run they can do some things to make you a little bit uncomfortable and now it's up to to Justin Fields and the Bears offense to rise above that I'm not sure they have enough to do it on a short week
1: Interesting. I hope that it's a good enough game quality wise that Al Michaels is not complaining about it by the fourth quarter.
0: <laughs> fourth but, <third> quarter. Well, <laughs> he, I mean, it, it, it's not Al Michaels. Al, Al Michaels was trying to put the positive spin on it last week, being like, this game is so terrible. It's awesome. And yeah, Kirk, I know. Well, Kirk Crosby yeah. <laughs> was like, no, <laughs> can't meet you even halfway on that one. it with
1: faint praise, but uh, <laughs> it'll be fun. It'll be nationally televised. It will be an opportunity and a platform for the Bears to see uh, how far they have come in and whether or not uh, that was a significant step for Justin Fields on Sunday in Minnesota. All right, that wraps it up for us. What we're going to do is we're going to drop our post-game pod on Friday. This is an odd week. We will get back to our regular schedule next week on the Take the North podcast. You can find Dan Weeder at chicagotribune.com, all his Bears coverage, and at Dan Weeder on Twitter. You can find me at David Haw on Twitter and listening to... The Mullinghaw Show every morning on 670 The Score on your Odyssey app. Also 670 scorecom My game column will be there Thursday night. For Adam Sudzinski, our ace reporter, and Dan Wiederer, thank you for listening. Take the North Podcast. Get it on your free Odyssey app. Download, listen, and subscribe. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Get your xylophones ready, everybody.